All right. Well, hey, welcome back to Between the Pages. It's a podcast meant to inspire Christ followers to go deeper in their faith and theology by engaging books from a Christian worldview. And I'm your host, Joel Nevius, and I'm here with my hero, as always, my good friend, Mark Kraus. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing great, Joel. I was looking for another person in the room at uh, a, a second ago, but thank you for that. Thank you for that compliment, Mark. You know you're awesome. Uh, I, I always enjoy doing this with you, and I'm glad that uh, our listeners get your wisdom and insight. Um, but it's been it's been a blast so far. Well, um, I I love doing this uh, with you, Joel, and I yeah. love the just the passion and excitement you bring to things, as well as the insight. <laughs> And, and how uh, readily you grasp deep theological uh, and spiritual concepts. So well, I love having this dialogue. It's all a journey, but I, I think literally every single podcast we've opened with, I've uh, talked about how much I love doing this with you. I think our listeners are like, Joel, you literally said every single time. But uh, <laughs> but I'm probably going to keep saying it because it's the truth. But, uh, well, hey, let's, let's dive uh, right in uh, to today's episode. Great. You, um, we are on episode number three or four? Three. I guess episode three, chapter four. Yeah. The book, yeah. So we're going to be um, diving into chapters four and five of the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Uh, and if you missed it, we talked about chapters two and three last time. So if you if you haven't caught up, be sure to um, to hit up the last episode and, and listen to that. We had a really good discussion about um, about being tempted to respond negatively to disappointment uh, with the church, as well as uh, responding negatively to relationships with family. You know, as, particularly as as new Christ followers, but even you know, it doesn't always make it easier the further you go along in your walk with Christ. And so we encourage you to check that out. And we also talked about um, about the temptation to become judgmental in prayer and, and turning it into a form of non-prayer. And uh, so if those uh, topics interest you, be sure to check out that last, that last episode and read those chapters in the book as well. But today we're going to focus on chapters four and five yes. of the Screwtape Letters, which are really, really good chapters. And these deal with the topic of the topics of prayer, uh, war, and, and and worldliness. And so, you know, let, let's dive in, Mark. You know, as we begin chapter four, you know, Screwtape once again seems to be very disappointed with Wormwood. I mean, he's yeah. always just roasting him. It seems like every every chapter. Yeah, I don't think Wormwood gets a lot of affirmation. No, no, I think he has a pretty poor self esteem at this point. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, so Screwtape begins this chapter um, by addressing what he calls the painful subject of prayer, yes. which seems to frame this whole chapter. And so, so Mark, what's going on in this chapter? Why is uh, Screwtape tackling this painful subject of prayer? What's his strategy to deal with that? Yeah, well, he's, he's addressing the painful subject of prayer, as you noted, um, because he recognizes how dangerous it is. Um, that this is probably one of the key battlegrounds for demons and for those who are opposed to the enemy, being God, um, and how vital it is for them to to um, keep the subject, in this case the patient of Wormwoods, from prayer altogether if possible, that being the main goal, at least any serious intentional prayer to use uh, Screwtape's words. 
Um, if that's not possible, then to at least work to misdirect uh, their attention during prayer, if not to give them false ideas about prayer. And so those are going to be, um, that's the main goal. In terms of the strategies, we'll see him talking about, again, keeping them from the serious intention of prayer altogether, persuade them that things like your bodily position or, or your bodily involvement in prayer, that that's not important, just don't worry about that, kind of a, a totally spiritual idea of prayer, uh, keeping the physical out of it. And he'll also talk about um, how to otherwise distract them in prayer. All right, Mark. Well, let's let's jump in first about talking about this idea of intentional prayer. So this is something yes. that obviously Screwtape does not want to happen and wants to coach Wormwood to do whatever he can uh, to make the patient not intentional with his prayer life. Yes, yes. So, so what does that kind of look like as far as uh, his strategy, but also just in general, as you think about that idea of intentionality in prayer, like what kind of comes up? What I think of there and, and what I think Lewis is driving at uh, through Screwtape is um, something that we often forget as Christians when it comes to God is that any relationship if it's going to go deep and, and really be intimate, requires intentionality. We can't just, you know, if you and I are going to have good relationships with our wives, we can't just pay attention to them whenever we feel like it or talk to them and, and really engage with them deeply when we're in the mood or when we think about it. We have to be intentional about it or those relationships are going to go south. Yeah, uh, yeah. real quick um, little um, relationship advice from us. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, I mean, even in dating relationships, like you can't intentionally have a good dating relationship uh, without being intentional. Like, yes, you, like yes. if you were to pursue a girl or a guy or something like that and you're just like, whatever, that's probably going to be really bad. It's not going to end well. And, not going to uh, make a, a great impression. No, <laughs> not a good impression at all. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we could be unintentional with, uh, you know, with our spouses, with Tamara and Becca, but... Yeah, we'd probably be sleeping on the couch every night. Yeah. So. Thing, uh, yeah, it just <laughs> wouldn't go well for us. And, and so we, yeah. we, but we do as Christians, I think if we're honest, we oftentimes tend to think um, that we can treat God that way, that we yeah. don't have to be real intentional. We don't, you know, don't schedule time with God. Don't, don't have a routine with God to make sure that you have quality time with him, you know, that somehow he'll make up the difference relationally um, and, and he'll kind of force that intimacy, even if we're not really being intentional or paying attention. Yeah. Um, well, I think what's interesting is, you know, I think what Lewis is also hitting on this is sometimes we can approach it like that with a haphazard, uh, unintentional way, yes. right? Just out of laziness or just, you know, thinking God, like God will just zap us into holiness and intimacy with him. Right, right. But I think sometimes there can also be an attitude where formality means being just overly religious, mm -hmm. right? We, I mean, how, how long have we heard in the evangelical world now saying, it's a relationship, uh, not a religion. And while that's, it's true and false, it is a relationship, but it is also a religion. 
And there's yeah. intentionality and there's specific kinds of worship and yes. the way that we, we relate to God. But I think sometimes, um, I think in our culture, but I think even what Lewis may be hitting at is that sometimes we think informal is actually more spiritual. Yes. And that we yes. think spontaneous or spont- spontaneity is more holy and like it shows more devotion than actually carving out time and saying, I'm going to be intentional with my walk with Christ. And he even says it here. He says, we need to encourage our patient um, to remember uh, the parrot-like nature of his prayers in childhood. Specifically, probably grew up going to a Church of England, Anglican church, probably had to repeat prayers, probably had to... Written prayers, yeah. Yeah, written prayers, probably had to do confessions and all these things. And he's trying to say, hey, convince him that these intentional things that are, you know, in a sense kind of scripted or or routines aren't actually that devotional, but it's just a religious exercise. Right. And that relationship, as you said, the idea that relationship is never formal, it's never intentional, it never involves ceremony and ritual, if you will, Um, which again, in our relationships on a human level and the way that we're created, when we value a relationship, if I value my wife, not only am I going to be intentional about us spending time together, but I'm going to make certain times together very formal, very celebratory. Um, you know, whether we're on an anniversary and we go to a, you know, a very a restaurant that has fine dining, has all the accoutrements and decorations that speaks of formality, because the fact is, formality, when done right, speaks to the uh, the highness or the gravity of the relationship and how important it is. And it introduces a sense of awe of, you know, this really, Christians have a very high view of marriage. And so that's why oftentimes, you know, depending on, and you don't have to spend a lot of money, but we make weddings a very formal occasion with a lot of decoration, a lot of ritual, because... Um, we're, we it helps us to set something apart as being very special and in awe. And yet we know, and I think what, what evangelicalism um, often emphasizes in a good way, is that you can have the formality without relationship. Which is absolutely true. And yeah. so at either extreme, I mean... Screw tape is always talking about the fact, always encouraging Wormwood to get his patient to go to one extreme or the other, and in some way to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Exactly. You know, throw out the goodness with that which we tend to distort or pervert in our relationship with God and our worship. And so that really is a vital point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one thing that's really interesting, so when we talk about, first we talked about kind of this, get Christians out of the serious intention mm-hmm. of praying, but then he also kind of provides a couple sub-strategies for misdirection, which he says is kind of another way of keeping patients from effective prayer. And he gives a yes. couple strategies as far as how to, to misdirect, um, misdirect our intentions in, in prayer. And uh, the first thing that he, that he notes, one way if, if um, we want to misdirect humans in our prayer life is to turn the gaze of prayer from God 
to ourselves. Yes. And I find this is a really, really fascinating uh, insight uh, from Lewis here. But what does he mean by that? Like, what is, what is he saying? Like, what would that look like to misdirect our gaze from God to ourselves during prayer? Well, I think one of the biggest things that we struggle with, and, and certainly uh, I think that it's very much a part of our culture today, a temptation is just to focus on our internal feelings in prayer. You know, am I... And, and Screwtape talks about get him to focus on just trying to generate feelings of love for God or feelings that God is with me as opposed to really focusing on God himself. And so that really does, as you said, it gets us focused on ourselves and we can end up seeing prayer as, well, this this time, if I didn't feel good in it, if I didn't, you know, if I went into prayer feeling kind of down or discouraged, if I don't come out of prayer feeling like, oh, the world is awesome, you know, I'm feeling great, then we somehow think that prayer was not effective and that we didn't spend time with God. And that is, that's that's a lie. It's, it's um, it can keep us from going to prayer again if we feel like we failed or somehow we didn't connect with God. And of course, again, if we treated other relationships yeah. that way in life, we wouldn't have relationships. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, hey, darling, I really want to marry you because, man, I just feel good when I'm with you. Yes. And that's it. Like, I get an emotional high being with you, and that's the only reason why I want to make a commitment to you. If you try, if you said that, like, while you're proposing to someone, they'd be like, wow, you're really needy, and that's really shallow. Like, I don't really want to yeah. be with you. Or heaven forbid they both have that attitude Oof. and think that if at some point in their marriage, they're they're not, the other person isn't constantly giving them good feelings, well, then that must be a sign that I don't love you anymore. Yeah. Or we're not in and love that, anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I mean, that drives a lot of our hypersexualized culture today is just a focus on feelings. I want to have... Well, that'll generate, that'll generate a feeling very quickly. It, it will. No matter how you're feeling beforehand. Yeah. If you can, you know, make a relationship sexual, then it gives you this false sense of intimacy because it's generating right. intimacy feelings when maybe you weren't feeling good before. Yes. And ultimately, so, love is so much deeper than that, and absolutely. relationship is so much deeper than that. That's so superficial when it comes to intimate and deep relationships and the kind of relationship with God and with other human beings that ultimately brings so much satisfaction and security because we know we're in a loving relationship that is not dependent on how we feel in the moment emotionally. That's right. And so let me just read a quick quote from this, because I think that this really illustrates uh, what Lewis is talking about here. And this is Screwtape saying this. He says, when they meant to ask him for charity, let them instead start trying to manufacture charitable feelings for themselves and not notice that this is what they're doing. And when they meant to pray for courage, let them really be trying to feel brave. And when they say they're praying for forgiveness, let them try to feel forgiven. Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by, the, by their success in producing the desired feeling. Uh, that's so crucial, Joel. I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I'm so guilty of this. <laughs> you know, if I'm feeling anxious... Like a lot of times I approach prayer and I'm like, I want to read, you know, Philippians 4. I want to, or I want to read some, you know, some passages from Isaiah or Psalms. And the success of my prayer is if I leave 
feeling the peace of God and feeling like I can go conquer whatever it was I was anxious about. And if I don't immediately get that rush, I'm like, I'm just a failure and I'm not a good Christian. And man, I must've done that prayer wrong or God didn't hear me. Yeah. And, uh, at the end of the day, like if I'm not praying to God and I'm praying to my feelings, then my feelings have become my God. Oh, absolutely. Great point. Clear my throat there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, and I think what I thought of here too is, and you alluded to it, is if we're spending time with God in prayer, and this may be one of the reasons why we avoid it, is because we become so aware of our failures, of our sin, and and how much we don't measure up to God's standards. And so I think the danger of of this form of prayer is even when we're spending time in prayer in repentance or asking God's forgiveness because we're aware of our sin, sometimes we're, we are, it's a works-based prayer where we're trying to generate feelings of sorrow and, and almost convince God how sorry we are right. for our prayers and thinking erroneously that if when we come to prayer, that somehow if we generate enough bad feelings about prayer, that that's going to strengthen us and keep us from those behaviors in the future. Interesting. And, and then when it doesn't, we become disillusioned. And, and Lewis here, through Screwtape, alludes to the fact that um, really what we need to be doing when we come to God in prayer is not to focus on so much. Certainly we need to be sorrowful. Um, for our sin, but not thinking that we need to try and generate these feelings of sorrow in order to be forgiven, but that our focus of prayer in this area really needs to be, God, I know I don't have the power in and of myself to change my desires in this area, and and to focus our prayer on, God, would you change my desires? Mm -hmm. I know that at a root level, unless my desires are changed, I'm going to keep behaving in the same ways. Absolutely. And so, God, I'm not going to try and generate all these emotions. God, would you please change me? Would you please change my desires? So it's a great distinction, but a very subtle distinction, because we can very easily get into that type of mode where we're just trying to generate feelings. Absolutely. And I think what Lewis has been trying to get at so far in the screw tape letters up to this point, and he's going to continue driving it home, is to make sure that we're focusing on truth and to Mm -hmm. make sure that we can cut through what's apparent to us, how we feel, what we're experiencing, Mm -hmm. to see beyond that to God, who is truth, and we find truth only in him. And our feelings, a lot of times, can indicate truth. And so God gave us feelings, you know, kind of like a radar to kind of pinpoint when things are off or, you know, when things are true. But they themselves are not bearers of truth. Exactly. They point to other things. And so where our feelings are incongruent with the truth of God, then we have to ignore them and trust that God will will work in us by his spirit to generate new desires and new feelings in, in accordance with his word. Yeah. And uh, so he's going to keep hammering that in, in this book. Great point. But, you know, as far as misdirection and prayer, you know, he says, you know, to take um, our gaze off from God and onto ourselves. Hmm. But then there's a second strategy within misdirection. So what was that second uh, strategy there? Well, the one that stood out to me was um, him saying, persuade the patient that bodily position makes no difference, whatever, or he said, makes no difference in their prayer. And then he says, 
remember Wormwood, whatever their bodies do affects their souls. Mm. And so the idea here is don't think that that um, what you're doing physically during times of prayer makes any difference. Just spiritualize it again. And, and this is where I think, Joel, that um, the church is always tempted, it seems like has always been tempted through the centuries to adapt a type, type of Platonism in prayer where we right. think that to be truly Christian or godly is to be super utterly spiritual and to forget about the physical life. Yeah. And so certainly what Lewis is alluding to here is the idea of, um, at least from my standpoint, if I don't if I don't quiet my body, if I don't get alone in some room in my house or somewhere else in prayer to where I first stop my body, I won't be able to stop my mind. I won't be able to focus on God if I don't focus my body first. Um, for me personally, kneeling you know definitely helps me to focus. It helps me my mind and my spirit to get in that position of prayer if my body's in that position of prayer. Now is that always required? No. But to discount it, you know, if we think that we can have an intimate prayer relationship, intimate intimate connection with God by only talking to him while we're navigating rush hour traffic in the morning, um, that, you know, again, it's great to pray during those times. In practice, it's probably very helpful to pray during, <laughs> during <laughs> those Lord, times. Don't, don't let me crash. But if, if those are the deepest times we're spending with God because our body is otherwise distracted and doing other things, it's going to affect intimacy and relationship in the same way that it would affect human relationships. If the only time I talked to my wife was in the car in rush hour, I mean, how good would that be, right? And yet so oftentimes we tend to... We tend to discount that with God and what a real relationship we don't we don't think of sometimes I don't think we treat God as a real relationship um, like we do human relationships and again somehow we think he's going to make up the difference when we're not treating him as a real relationship yeah absolutely I think I think this is I think this is really key I think for us because I think what you alluded to is sometimes we do approach um, our walks with with God as kind of a you know a Platonist or a uh, um, or I guess a Gnostic at the time that thought that like the only thing that really matters is the spiritual and right. like, as long as yeah. we can just focus on the spiritual and like through meditation and just kind of motionless prayer or something like that and we don't need yes. to engage our body and we don't need to do anything in worship you know something I mean that's that's seeped into the church I think that's one thing I would. Uh, say has been a, a great thing by our charismatic brothers and sisters who have really um, kind of revitalized the church and saying, hey, you know, like worship and prayer, that should involve postures, like physical postures as well. And the way that we praise, the way that we worship, the way that we bow yeah. down in prayer. And like, that's significant. Because like you said, in any relationship, mm -hmm. I mean, could you imagine, like you said, could you imagine treating our spouses the way that sometimes we, we treat God? Mm -hmm. I'm just going to meditate really hard about how much I love Becca. And that's it. And never give her a hug. Never give her a kiss. Never give or, her flowers. Never give her flowers. Never hold her hand. Never never do anything with my with my body to express love, but just, I love you. And that's it. And like, give her a blank stare. It, it, that you know, like God yeah. gave us bodies, and you know, there'd been some extreme forms in the past. You know, as far as separating out the body and the soul, but you know, those are distinct 
um, uh, distinct substances, but they're connected, uh, very much intertwined in us. Yes, and I think sometimes, yes. you know, you know, our our culture either divorce it so much and say we're only spiritual and we're not bodily, and then there's, you know, a lot more uh, progressives who would say, well, we're just a body. We're not a soul, but we have to be able to integrate the two in the way that we pray, the way that we worship yes, uh, yes. God. Well, and that word integrate is, is probably crucial because we have to always remember that we are an integrated spirit soul with a body. Um, that's the way we're made. And so um, anything that we do that's important is going to involve those two elements, including yeah. prayer. And I think our listeners, some of our listeners might say, well, yeah, when we're in relationships with other human beings, they're physical too. So, of course, it involves both spirit and physical. Yeah. Um, but we forget that God made us physical and spiritual creatures, and we need to experience relationship, whether it's with God or with other human beings, in both physical and spiritual ways. Yeah. And God is an intensely personal and relational being. Yeah. And so the, the bottom line is we will experience God. We need to experience God in both physical and spiritual ways. That's why baptism is so important yeah. as a sacrament. I mean, the sacraments really speak of um, experiences, experiencing a spiritual truth in a physical way. Communion's the same thing, experiencing the death of Christ in this physical act of worship, yeah, this, this ritual, if yeah. you will. That we, that Christians go through of taking the bread and the cup. And so it's vital to us as human beings, even if it's not vital to God, because he's not, he doesn't need to experience things physically. Right. Well, I mean, and even, I mean, obviously, if we just go to scripture, we see the tabernacle, we see, you know, the we see all these, um, these ways that, that things that seem to just be spiritual have been expressed physically. Um, and physical Absolutely. locations. Absolutely. And, and we see yeah. David and others expressing worship and sacrifice, right? Sacrificing lambs, sacrificing, mm-hmm. you know, burnt offer, all these things. Like these are physical acts of worship. And, yes, and, and yes. we see Jesus getting alone on a mountain. He hikes up there and he's, you know, Gethsemane. He, like, he kneels down. Yeah. Um, yes. So we all see of those things. all throughout Scripture that um, that this is an important part of how we worship, you know. And so I think it's important for us. And, uh, you know, I grew up, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I went to church, it was kind of like if you raised your hands or if you did something, it was kind of like, oh, you need to, you know, you need to slow down a little bit. You're, you're getting <laughs> distracting. And. You know, there was like kind of this lid that was put on as far as being expressive in prayer and worship, you know, and obviously there's an extreme end to it as well, to where you're just going crazy and your heart's not engaged. You're just getting your blood uh, pumping. Of course. And and of course, that would be true in a human relationship too, right? (laughs) Just as we've talked about. And so I think the key there is to remember that a real relationship involves both of those elements, the physical and the spiritual, the formal and the informal, the spontaneous and the intentional and the planned. And so to treat God in any other way is is really to our detriment because we lessen the power of the relationship that we can have with God when we make either one of those errors. And I'll just just close my comments by saying uh, I wrote down this Um, kind of at the end of this chapter is it is difficult for the soul to focus on what the body is not. Mm. Um, And and I have to remember that. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's so key. I mean, the prayer is so important, and we have to be aware of, of how uh, the enemy, speaking from my vantage point, you know, like evil and demons and Satan, like they are, uh, they're wanting to keep us from a real intimate relationship uh, with God. And I love what screw tape says here to kind of yes. cap off chapter four, and then we'll turn briefly to chapter five. But he says this, and this is why he's so eager to misdirect us and distract us and to keep us from being intentional in prayer. He says this, he says, but of course the enemy will not meantime be idle. Whenever there's prayer, there is danger of his own immediate action. He's cynically indifferent to the dignity of his position and ours as pure spirits and to human animals on their knees. He pours out self-knowledge in a quite shameless fashion. And Screwtape realizes, and I think some of us need to realize, that when we're going to prayer, there is a battle going on because when God hears our prayers, we see this all throughout Scripture, God will respond to our prayers, and He will act. And there's always the danger on the, from the, from the demon's end that God could might, could work mightily through simple repeated prayers on a Sunday morning. Absolutely. Or a little devotional at home, you by yourself bending down in front of a couch, whatever you're Mm -hmm. praying. There is danger to the, to Satan of what God could do through prayers like that. And so it's so good just to to be reminded of that. And so chapter four is awesome. Let's, let's turn really quickly to chapter five to finish our time. Chapter five, uh, uh, screw tape uh, turns his focus um, to um, to wormwood trying to say hey let's take advantage of a war that's broken out and obviously Lewis is writing this maybe this is World War two or something like yes. that yeah it is yeah. but he's saying okay basically there's this war that's broke out wormwood mm. is really excited there's a war and so he's conveyed to screw tape that okay here we go like this is perfect but screw tape, in his letter here, seems to a little to be a little bit wary of war and wartime. Yes. Um, so why is that? Why is Screwtape being a little bit reticent about about war? Well, the reason why he's cautioning Wormwood is because uh, he sa- tells Wormwood that war can work against us as easily as it can work for us. And and as you said, Wormwood's very excited because Wormwood is thinking about all of the pain and suffering they're going to be able to perpetuate on the human race by encouraging war and hatred. But Screwtape is essentially saying, yes, but remember, Wormwood, when when there is war, um, everyone isn't dying a hidden death in a nursing home somewhere where we can kind of shield ourselves from death and don't have to think about it. You know, we can just put the dying off to the side somewhere where we don't think about them. Where war brings death front and center. It brings human suffering, human evil, and death front and center. And it forces us to think about the deeper things of life. It also makes it very real that we're all going to die. We, we, we could die in the war, but ultimately, even those of us who don't die in the war are eventually going to die. And so it brings death so front and center that it also causes us to think about things like God. Is there life after death? How can we experience that? Because death is unavoidable. That's right. It teaches us to kind of measure our days, count our days. It does, and, as, and as to, the psalmist says. Yeah, and to, and to think more deeply about that. You know, I think... 
at some point, right? A lot of times people don't get that till right the the midlife crisis, right? And they're like, right? Oh shoot, I've lived already half my life, and that's gone by super fast. Mm-hmm. And even then, we can shield ourselves, right, by buying a new car, right? That's the typical midlife. Then let's get a Corvette convertible and go have fun. Yeah, let's go yes. travel the world and like we try to do whatever we can. I feel like in our culture, and uh, it looks like it wasn't any different in Lewis's culture, but like no. in 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 our culture today, we do everything we can to to avoid this reality. We numb ourselves to that, and we're so focused on just pleasure, and uh, we're so wrapped up in having a phone glued to our face that like, we just don't think about hey, like all of these things I see in the news with people dying and wars. It's like this disconnection. Like, that's not really real. That's just a form of media coming in. And, like, yeah, I know that death is kind of real. Like, my great-great-grandfather died, obviously, and I went Mm -hmm. to his funeral when I was three. But it just feels like it's this distant um, idea. And we just were like, well, I'm good to go. I just live however I want. Well. Absolutely. And and it seems like today, more than ever before, although this has certainly always been the human tendency, but today we have so much that we can be distracted by. Um, the entertainment we have access to 24-7, you know, with the technology we have, we can binge again on, on Netflix or Prime whenever we want. Um, so that we don't have to think about uh, the, the, the things of life that have much more gravity, the, the most important questions of life. And this quote from Screwtape, from the chapter, in terms of speaking of the danger of war for doing that, he says they will have their attention diverted from themselves to values and causes which they believe to be higher than the self. And he really says that for both sides. It's going to force that on both sides. So even if you believe you're on the right side and the other side is evil, he's really saying that this works against us, Wormwood, because the enemy has the ability to use this to cause everyone involved in that war to really think about life in much deeper ways and not be distracted by all the immediate uh, sensory experiences of life, the pleasures, and to think, dang, <laughs> you know, yeah. life is cruel, and is this all there is, or is there possibly more? Absolutely, and I like what you said about causes outside yourself, because, you know, when we look back at, you know, like my grandparents or great-grandparents, uh, some of our listeners, when we think of kind of like the greatest generation, right, yes. those who lived through World War II, who, who you know, went and served and fought and things like that, like, in our culture, we have a real reverence for them, because, you know, we've seen movies or we've heard stories from our family members about how much they gave up, how how much they stopped thinking about just preserving their own comfort yeah. and preserving their own safety <clears throat> to where they thought of something way bigger than themselves. And that was the freedom of, you know, the country and, and freeing those who've been oppressed in Europe. And they're thinking way outside of themselves, yes, yes. which once you start doing that, then you're starting to think in a Christ-like way. Right, who sacrificed himself because he because he loved us. Yeah, and yes. and so as soon as you start getting out of yourself, which is what I think Lewis keeps hinting at, like the, so much of the key of the Christian life is stop focusing on our own immediate stuff and to see things mm-hmm. higher than ourselves. Like God has wired us for deeper meaning and and, and to live not for ourselves. We know deep down 
that when we live a life of self-preservation, when we live a life of just, you know, kind of like, you know, selfishness, self-focus. Yeah. That like, there's something in us that sort of dies. And Mm -hmm. like, that's why we really admire and respect the greatest generation. And that's why we um, scoff at cowards who ignore the call. You know, to and we love people who are willing to sacrifice yeah. their own self interest for the interests of others, um, which is really a true expression as, of love as modeled by Christ, yeah, um, modeled by God. And, um, well, again, he makes a statement how much better for us all, or how much better for all humans to die in costly nursing homes than to die in a war where. Our death uh, is so meaningful, and it's causing everyone else to see, um, to think about things greater than ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's um, really interesting because at the end here, and we'll kind of wrap up with this, but this is what they're after. Like wartime is such a threat to to Satan because uh, this is what uh, Screwtape says. He says, and how disastrous for us is the continual remembrance of death which war enforces. Then he says this, one of our best weapons, contented worldliness, Mm -hmm. is rendered useless. In wartime, not even a human can believe that he's going to live forever. And so the biggest strategy, you know, that he wants to employ is to get us content with where we're at, to be content with this world as our home, Mm -hmm. to, you know, thank the Lord for how much modern science has enhanced health care and stuff. But we all know that we can turn that into an idol, you know, at the same time, like we can say, thank you, Lord, for these advances, while at the same time still realizing that even if our lives get prolonged to you know, on average 80 or 90 years, that still doesn't negate the fact that our home isn't here ultimately. Our home is with God in heaven, and that should be everybody's destination. And so, um, so, yeah, he wants us to be content with this worldliness and, and, and to just be thinking about ourselves and there's nothing beyond it. So absolutely, Joel. And, you know, the other and uh, as we close, the other thing that really came to mind is as you were talking is, is we should emphasize, of course, the horror of war. Yeah. And just how that is undesirable. You yeah. know, we certainly don't want war for this because God can use horrible things no. to still accomplish his purposes. Because um, like you yet, said, it can be used one way or the other. It can be. Right. Well, it is. It certainly so, is used by Satan. You know, yeah. the, the pain and suffering absolutely. is is horrendous. Um and I lost my train of thought, so no, I'll just let you. No, and I think that that is key. Yeah, I mean, please don't hear Mark and I say, "Yeah, bring on war," because that'll make everyone more virtuous. Yeah. And like, but I mean, yeah, obviously that's not God's heart and desire for there to be death and destruction um, through all this sin and stuff. But do you remember nine eleven? Like, I mean, obviously it was right there. But do you remember how people responded right after? I mean, I was in college, yeah. and all of a sudden, like, there were people around me who were, you know, secular, they're atheists, but like, man, all of a sudden there was like this religious, like awakening, like, whoa, I need to start thinking about, you know, God more and things like, like, even though, you know, we were in a dorm room removed from that, it inspired people to, oh, it it was a shock. It was a shock. It shocked us into a reality in, in some ways. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that happens. But yeah, that doesn't justify that therefore 9-11 was good or okay <laughs> because no. God can work through through horrible things. But yeah, this is this is terrible. Well, and you know, but, the thought I had, I, it just came back to me, yeah. is very likely one of the main things that leads to war is the fact that as humans, we get contented with worldliness and the effects that that has on us that causes us behaving to behave in ways that leads to war. Yeah. It's our forgetting the big things of life. It's our not thinking about God. It's all of those things that contented worldliness causes also probably eventually leads to war because we forget how really how sinful human nature is and, and the propensity we have for hatred, for selfishness, and ultimately for war. And so the very thing that God uses war to wake us up to, if we're not woken up by other means through prayer and through worship of God, something tells me, well, history tells us that we eventually end up in war. Yeah, and you know, and God will uh, allow that to happen. You know, in in the problem of pain, what does Lewis say about kind of the nature of pain and suffering, and like how God uses that? Yes. Right? He called he describes it as a megaphone to wake up, you know, uh, you know, sleeping or you know, dead people or a whatever deaf world, yeah. a deaf world, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, God will relent and allow that to happen. But um, you know, one thing that that it does is wartime. I think one thing, you know, a lot of us, there may be some of our listeners who've been in war, who've, who have gone and served, but probably the majority of the people uh, that we're um, communicating with here probably haven't. Right. And so, you know, I think of just suffering in general kind of serves that, that purpose. When you suffer, when you go through depression, anxiety, all of a sudden you start asking big questions about life. Is there something more than this? You, you know, like, is there any hope? And like suffering has a way of drawing that out. And I love how he kind of ends this. He says the human, oh, sorry, the enemies, human partisans have all pl- been plainly told by him that suffering is an essential part of what he calls redemption. So that a faith which is destroyed by a war or a pestilence cannot really have been worth the trouble of destroying. Hmm. And so as Christians, you know, we don't desire war or suffering, but we we take it in stride knowing that this is part of living in a broken world that will ultimately be redeemed. And and like, yes. like we see all throughout Scripture, it tests our faith. It tests to see, do we really have faith or not? Mm-hmm. A faith that can be destroyed by an external war or a faith that can be destroyed by suffering that we go through is really no faith, like you said, worth even being destroyed because it isn't. Yes, yes. So anyways. Great, great way to end it. Well, Mark, as we wrap up, I know um, we need to just take just a minute what was one, what do you think is maybe one takeaway for our listeners to encourage them either from chapter four or chapter five that really struck you that you want to encourage our listeners as we, um, as we finish up here? I think I would encourage them just on the topic of prayer and what you kind of ended that chapter with was, um, Screwtape's comment that where there's prayer, the enemy is always in action. And just to be confident that when we, when we take the time to be intentional about prayer, God is there and he's working in us. And so to not lean on having to feel emotions, 
but to just know that in any relationship, when we're intentional and we take the time, that relationship's going to grow. And we're going to see the evidence of it over time. And, and to stop looking for, for huge dramatic evidences in the moment and play the long game with God. Play the long game with prayer. Be faithful to start having relationship with God through prayer, knowing that just like anyone else we hung out with intentionally, they're going to affect us over time. We're going to become like them in some ways. And how much more valuable is it to be intentional with God so that we become more like a loving God who created this world, our bodies, our existence to be good. And while that has been distorted and corrupted by human rebellion, that's still God's end game for us. And so it's all worth it. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great encouragement. Uh, that comes from chapter four. And I think I'll close with just something that kind of comes to mind through chapter five. And uh, I think I would just encourage our listeners, you know, as you're witnessing a lot of stuff like in the news and media, maybe even some of your favorite shows like Stranger Things or other ones, to be looking like you know, when we see these images of death, when we see these images of suffering, or even when we look within ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we, we experience suffering. And um, I think... I think it would just be good just to be reminded of the fact that this isn't our home and to be thinking beyond that. And, and, and just in general, I think just pray like, God, give me eyes to see beyond the pain. Absolutely. Help me not to get distracted by exactly what's in front of me. Help me to, you know, take it for what it is, but help me, Lord, to, to look beyond. Like, what could you be doing in a bigger sense through this war, through this pain I'm suffering? God, how can you use that? And I would just encourage you to let that drive us towards that prayer life that we were just talking about. And maybe make, if you're going through something really tough, you know, you know, take that effort to be intentional with God. He wants you to come to him with your pain regularly. Think of the persistent widow, like persistently bring your pain uh, to him and and see what he shows you um, beyond that. So, so, good, so, Mark, uh, I've really enjoyed this discussion. Uh, thanks for thanks for being with me today. My pleasure. So, um, well, hey, thanks for tuning in today to Between the Pages. Uh, be sure to to hit subscribe if you haven't already. And and like I said, we we'd really appreciate any feedback you have. So, on whatever platform you're using, if you're using Apple Podcasts or just whatever, be sure to maybe just leave a review and say, hey, I've been enjoying this, or hey. You guys are terrible. You, whatever it is, we'd be, we'd be uh, we'd appreciate any kind of feedback that you guys uh, have. But Mark, I'm looking forward to next time uh, diving right back into the screw tape letters with you. I'm as well. Thank you, Joel. All right. Well, once again, thanks for joining us uh, for Between the Pages. Have an awesome week.